You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. At least virtually. And uh, it's nice to be together again because we're actually streaming this live right now. Um, We've been pre-recording things, uh, but starting right now, we're actually streaming this live. At least if you're watching us at 8.45 on Sunday morning, uh, it's happening right now. So we're glad you're joining us. Thanks for being here. For those of you I haven't got a chance to meet, I'm Sean Rowley. I'm one of the elders and one of the preachers here at Grace. And on behalf of our whole family, welcome. We're glad, glad to see you here today. Uh, we have been uh, in our study in the book of Matthew. And... Uh, Looking back the past few weeks, we saw Jesus um, be tempted. He was uh, led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And we saw Jesus overcome that temptation uh, by the Spirit of God that filled him, but also by using the Word of God. And this is an incredible example to us because that's how we also can overcome temptation and sin is by leaning into and relying on the Spirit of God in our lives, but also leaning into and relying on his Word Um, working in our lives. And so it's an incredible example to us. But after this, Jesus, he begins to uh, travel around um, preaching. And like John the Baptist, he's preaching a message of uh, repentance. And then uh, last week, um, if you'll remember with me, uh, we we read about and studied together uh, about when Jesus calls the disciples to him. And this is amazing to me because what you have is, is Jesus traveling around and he's, he's picking all these different men. He's saying, come and join me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna change you into somebody different. Instead of fishing for fish, you're gonna become fishers of men. And so these men who have done basically one profession their whole lives, probably the same profession that their father and the father before them and the father before them had done, um, and they leave it all so that they can follow Jesus, so that they can serve with Jesus. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But I've wondered, um, as Jesus and the disciples are traveling around now, it says they've been preaching and teaching and healing the sick, uh, what kind of things did they talk about? What, what sort of conversations did they have? Not just with, with the people that they were with, but also just with each other. Um, what, what did they say over meals and as they traveled around? Well, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to get to see the first recorded words um, that, that Jesus tells the disciples. And we know he's been preaching a message of repentance. In, in Matthew 4, 17, we looked at this verse that said that Jesus was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. And so today, as we dig into um, Matthew 5, we're going to see what does that mean that the kingdom of heaven has come near? What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is now? And and what should we do with that with with our lives? So today we're we're, we're in Matthew 5, like I said. So if you have a Bible, you want to get it ready, open it up, turn it on. I'll also put the words on the screen. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. But um, I want to say this really quickly at the beginning. Um, A lot of your Bibles, uh, this section is labeled the Beatitudes. And what that basically means is it's just a list of blessings that are being declared over the family and the people of God. And so um, think of it that way, that this is simply a list of blessings. Some, some Bibles will say, happy uh, are you, or happy are those who do these various things. Some say blessed are those. The, the version we're going to use, it says, it uses the word blessed. So it's a list of blessings. That's all it is. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we will begin to unpack this together. So bow your heads with me. Father, I love you, 
and I love your word, and I love the opportunity to come together again, Lord, even though we are scattered, to be able to gather, at least virtually, and to worship you, to sing songs to you, to pray to you, but then also get to study your word. And so, Father, I invite you now, um, uh, again, I invite you that your Holy Spirit would fill me, that God, you would fill the hearts and the lives of everybody who is listening to this or watching this, wherever they're at, whenever that's happening. I pray you would fill them with your spirit, that God, they would see you, that they would know you, that they would learn something about you, that they would be encouraged or challenged or rebuked or called to repentance. Lord, whatever they need this morning, I pray that your spirit would provide that. So Father, thank you for that. I do thank you for your beautiful word. I pray you would speak now. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew uh, chapter five, we're starting in verse one. It says this, uh, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus, he's already been traveling around. He's been growing in popularity, um, sort of fame in the region. People have heard about him. And, And so these crowds are beginning to follow him. And if you'll remember, Israel at this point in the nation's history has been waiting on the promised Messiah forever, it seems like. And, and they've been struggling under Roman rule and occupation. And so they've been wanting a Messiah, wanting a savior to come. And he comes in the most unexpected ways. He's born as a baby in a tiny town in the middle of nowhere. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. Um, but, but now he's all grown up. And so I wonder, are people still looking for a political figure? Are they still looking for a warrior king that will help free them and, and help them be set free from this oppression they've been under this Roman government? And so Jesus, he goes up this mountainside with his disciples and it says that he begins to teach him. Now, this message this morning I see uh, as Jesus teaches, it's primarily for those who already follow Jesus. Again, his disciples are right there close in, but it's also for um, other people that are listening in, people that are just checking it out. So if that's you this morning, there's a message here for everybody. People that have walked with Jesus uh, many years and for those of you who are still not even sure who this Jesus guy is, there's something for everybody. So let's take a look what he says because what he says is shocking. Verse three, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an amazing statement. Um, He's saying you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. Now this poor in spirit that he's talking about here is, is not talking about financial poverty at all. This has nothing to do with money or economics. What he really is talking about is, is relational poverty. This is what Gabe was talking about last week when, when he reminded us that, man, we need Jesus. With all that we are, we need him in our lives. And so this, this relational poverty is, is, is really just a point where we come to where we realize, man, we need Jesus. Something's missing, something's lacking in our lives, and we need him in our lives. And so what does it look like to be poor in spirit? The answer is important to us because the scripture tells us that those who are poor in spirit, they have the kingdom of heaven. And so to to talk about that, to show that, I just want to tell a little bit of my own story um, to help you understand what poor in spirit looks like. Because this is a time I can look back in my life and remember a time that I was very, very poor in spirit. And I've shared a little bit of this at times from here before, but but here we go. Um, My mom had a hard life. She, she had a hard life. Um, when she was a child, she suffered incredible and awful abuse by her stepfather and by her mother. Um, 
she grew up um, and, and had an even harder life. She struggled with um, the sins of others. She struggled with abuse as an adult that, that people abused her. Men who said they would love her abused her. Um, she struggled with her own sin. And so her life was honestly, in a lot of ways, it was very, very hard. And so my mom, I think because of those difficulties in life, developed addictions to drugs, to alcohol, to all kinds of things. And in 2007, her addictions had spiraled out of control. And so we hardly ever saw her. Every time I saw her the last couple of, couple of years that she was alive, every time I saw her, she was drunk or high. So there was distance. There had to be. I didn't want my kids around that. It was just, it was difficult. But in 2007, I got word that my mom had disappeared. She hadn't been seen for a few days. And no one knew where she was at. Nobody knew what was happening with her. She had been facing some drug charges. And so I wondered if she had been just like trying to hide away to try to avoid those drug charges with the, with the law. And I, I remember um, one night I was on my bed because by this point, the, the hours had stretched into days. The days had started to stretch into a week or two here. And I remember one night on my bed, I was praying and I was praying, God, would you just cause her to repent? Would you cause her to acknowledge what she's done? Would you cause her to, to, just, to just accept your help, to be forgiven? This could all be an incredible testimony of your work in her life. And it was at that moment that I really felt like the Spirit of God said to me very clearly, he said, Sean, she does need to do that, but what about you? You see, I had allowed at that point in my life some patterns of sin in my own life. They were awful. They were so destructive. And I had kind of put off dealing with them. I thought I could just be, you know, good enough and just not deal with them. But the fact is, is there was this giant parts of my heart and my life that I was unrepentant in. And so when I asked God, God, why won't she just repent? And he said, what about you, Sean? The same holds true for you. And I was wrecked. I was, I was wrecked. About a week or so after that, my mom was found and she was dead. It's a long story. It's a complicated story. But the fact is, is she wasn't alive anymore. And so I was devastated. I was spiritually poor. I needed a savior, not only to save me from my own sin, to help me uh, to be healed from my own sin, but also to help me to be healed from the heartbreak that I was experiencing because of the death of my mom. I was broken, I was exhausted, I felt alone, I was poor in spirit. And it took a long time, but by God's grace, he has brought healing and restoration and forgiveness. And I know the kingdom of heaven in ways I never knew before. This is why I cry every time I preach, because I remember what I felt like then. I remember being poor in spirit. And now I know what it means to be filled with the spirit, to be living a life that glorifies and honors God. I know what it means to have the kingdom of heaven. And it's overwhelming to me. It is from this blessing that all of the other blessings we're going to look at this morning flow. 
Because when we're poor in spirit, when we have put ourselves in a position where we recognize our our poverty, relational poverty before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we recognize we need a savior. It is at that point, if we'll accept Jesus, if we'll accept his death, burial, and resurrection into our lives, that we can be then set free from those things and he begins to fill us up. And it is by that filling of the spirit that helps us to live out the next blessings that he has for us. Everybody has a different experience. But can you remember a time in your life when you were poor in spirit? Maybe for you that time is this morning. Maybe it is right now. Do you see how desperately you need Jesus? Friends, if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, I'm inviting you to. The God of the universe is inviting you to join him, that you don't have to stay poor in spirit. He's inviting you to have the kingdom of heaven because when we invite him into our lives, his spirit fills our, fills our lives and there's more blessings on the way. Take a look at the next one. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. There's so much to mourn in our world right now. There's injustices, there's diseases, there's trials, certainly our own sin, There's suffering and loss of relationships and death. If we are poor in spirit and we are Jesus followers, then the kingdom of heaven is ours. And so his spirit will comfort us. That's what this verse promises. And I love the fact that that this promise, I think, is both um, for now, but it's also in the future. God comforts us now through his word, through his spirit. Take a look what it says in Romans chapter five. This is the apostle Paul writing. He says, not only so, But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He he comforts us through his word, through his spirit. He comforts us through his people. I love the family of God. I'm comforted all the time by you, Grace, by the family of God loving me, loving my family, helping me to work through the difficulties in life. He comforts us by prayer when we experience times with our Heavenly Father where he just wraps his arms around us and and lets us know, I'm here, I love you, I'm with you. It's incredible. But it's also a, a promise for the future. Look what happens in Revelation 21. This is at the end of time. Jesus, our King, is coming back one day, and this is the end of time when he comes back. He says, and I heard, uh, excuse me, Revelation 21, verse three, he says, and I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There is a day coming where we will be comforted, where God's people will be comforted for a final time, and we'll never need comforting ever again. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible blessing. Take a look at the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek is not a word most people use regularly in their vocabulary. I don't use it regularly in my vocabulary. Um, But meek just simply means a mild disposition. It, It means one who is not easily provoked. 
It doesn't mean weak at all, but it means somebody who is gentle and humble and teachable and have a willingness to submit to Jesus and his word and his ways. But it also means a willingness to look out for the interests of others ahead of your own, which means you're being willing to submit to other people as well. Does that describe you? Are you teachable? Are you humble? Are you willing to look out for the interest of others? This can be difficult sometimes. This is something I struggle to do well with. It requires the Spirit's help, but it comes with an incredible promise. It says that the meek inherit the earth. It's amazing. Take a look at the next one, one of my favorites. Verse uh, six, blessed are those who are hunger, excuse me, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Righteousness is one of those kind of ambiguous words that you hear in and around church, but what exactly does it mean? Well, a good definition for righteousness is this. A righteous life is one where all relationships, so our relationships with God, um, with other people, with ourselves, and also with the earth, with the land, are full of joy and peace and are flourishing as God designed them to be. They are well-ordered and harmonious. Friends, this is the kind of life, the kind of righteousness that we should all hunger and thirst for. I watch a lot of reality TV or some call it pseudo-reality TV because some of it's scripted. Um, but one of the shows that I love to watch is this show, Alone. Um, some of you have seen this show. It's an amazing show. It's on uh, the History Channel. And what it is is a show where they take 10 contestants, um, survival experts, people that are trained and, and know how to, to survive in the wilderness. And um, what they do is they give them all each 10 survival items they can pick from. I think it's like a list of 20 they can pick from. So it might be like an ax, uh, tarp, uh, fishing line, those kind of things. So they can pick 10 of those things and then they get their clothes and their sleeping bag and they ship them um, to a incredibly remote location and they basically have to survive. Now, what's cool about this show is they are totally alone. Um, and this isn't a group of 10 together. What they do is they drop them by helicopter in different locations that are separated by five, eight, 10 miles. So they don't know any, where any of the other contestants are. They also give them a bunch of camera equipment. So they have to film this completely themselves. So they are truly and completely alone. It's amazing. Well, the, the season that we're in right now, I think they're in season seven, they're doing a hundred day challenge. And this is a challenge for a million dollars. So it's for a lot of money. And it's filmed in the Ar Arctic, Canadian Arctic, way up north by this lake. And it's incredibly, incredibly cold there because they start in the late fall and go into the winter months. And so it's, at this point in the show, it's negative 10, negative 20 degrees. It's unbelievably cold. Now, food is a big issue, obviously. If you're trying to survive in the wilderness, food is a big issue. And some of the contestants have been able to find food. They've been able to find um, rabbits, trap rabbits or squirrels, um, small animals. They're eating porcupines, whatever they can find. Uh, one guy even got a musk ox, which was one of the best parts of the show because he killed this thing with just a knife. It was unbelievable. Um, it was awesome. Uh, Anyway, the food's a big deal, but all of the animals that they can find right now are really lean animals. There's hardly any fat on them. And to survive in super cold temperatures, you have to have enough fat because otherwise your body's burning way too many calories trying to just stay warm. And so they need fat. Well, one great source of good, healthy, fatty foods is fish. And so this woman, um, She's one of the contestants. Uh, she goes out on the lake because the lake by this point has frozen over. And the last episode I watched, she, the lake's frozen over. 
She goes out there with her axe. She cuts a hole in the ice. She's ice fishing. And the hours are going by and she is literally freezing. Hour after hour after hour, she's sitting out there freezing. She's so hungry, she needs something to eat. Well, she finally catches this fish. And when she does, she brings it up through the ice. This woman is so overwhelmed with joy by this fish, she literally falls down on the ground and starts weeping hysterically because she has been so hungry, because she needs something to eat. Friends, when I think of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's the kind of hunger and thirst I think of. You're desperate for it. You have to have it. Your life completely depends on it. And indeed it does. And I've been hungry in my life before. Um, And even as a kid, I grew up poor, but I've never ever cried because I had a meal. I cry over lots of other things, but not that. Um, Because I've just been blessed to never have to, to need a meal that bad. Other people in our country and all around the world, some have. But that's the kind of desire, that kind of drive, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that desperation for this life of flourishing and joy and peace that is perfect relationship with God and other people and ourselves and the land. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness like that, to that level? Man, I hope so. I hope so because the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that if that's you, if that's how you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. It's an amazing, amazing blessing that we're given here. Look at verse seven, the next one. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. One of the things that I love about our God is he doesn't call us or ask us really to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. Um, We have a God who has shown us great mercy. If you are a Jesus follower, then God called you, like the disciples last week that Gabe preached on, he called you to join him and to be in his family. That's a mercy to you. He has forgiven all of your sins, all of them. All of the things you have ever done, all of the sins you will ever do, he has forgiven all of them. That's a mercy to you. He's put his spirit inside of you. That's mercy to you. He has given you his holy and incredible word. That is mercy. And on and on and on and on it goes. So mercy is something that God is all about. And I think God is also extending mercy to those of you who don't know Jesus yet, who aren't in a relationship with him yet. And one of the ways he's extending mercy to you right now is you're hearing about this incredible God of ours that we serve and love. And the invitation is for you to come and enjoy that kind of mercy, that kind of love, that kind of relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and creator of everything. He calls us to be merciful. Who in your life has hurt you? Who in your life has betrayed you or sinned against you? When I was thinking through this, um, when I was doing prep for the sermon, I was sitting in my office, which is just my living room with a card table. It works wonderful. Um, I was sitting in my office And I was thinking through this and I was thinking about my mom because I was going to talk about her a little bit at the start of the sermon and I knew that. But I realized in that moment, as I was thinking about mercy, as I was thinking about forgiveness, I had never forgiven my mom for the pain she caused. And it was like the spirit of God was telling me, Sean, it's okay, it's time to let some of this go. 
And so I sat there at my card table and I just said out loud, I said, mom, I don't think you can hear me. Honestly, I don't know exactly how that works. But I said, mom, I forgive you. I forgive you for choosing addictions over relationships. Mom, I forgive you for bringing my brother and I into some really awful situations when we were kids. Mom, I forgive you for abandoning me because that's how I felt sometimes with my mom. Mom, I forgive you. And I don't know exactly what happened in that moment in my living room, but something changed in my heart. Something significant happened to me. It was like I was offering mercy, and yet what I got was incredible amounts of mercy poured on me back. Grace, love, affirmation, encouragement from the Father through his spirit to my spirit. It was absolutely amazing. And so I want to ask you again, who has hurt you? Who has betrayed you? Who has sinned against you and desperately needs forgiveness from not only God, but also from you, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they've asked forgiveness or not? My question this morning is, are you willing to be merciful? And this is not easy. Believe me, I understand. It's been 13 years since my mom died. I finally got around to realizing I need to forgive her. But are you willing to commit to seeking the spirit of God's help in your life to be able to show mercy, to forgive those in your life that need forgiveness, whether they ask you for it or not? Because friends, if we do, then the blessing is you'll receive more mercy back yourself. Take a look at the next one, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, the pure in heart here, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're living a pure, sinless life, that your, your heart's perfect, that there's no sin in it ever. And it's certainly not about having entirely pure motives. I read a quote, um, one of my favorite ones, um, from the great Billy Graham. He said, I'm not sure I've ever done anything with entirely pure motives. It's Billy Graham. And if he can say that, man, it makes me wonder about my heart. I know my motives are not pure. And so this isn't about being pure. It's not about being sinless. But what it is about, it's about being pure in heart. I think what that means, it's about being honest with your heart, with your sin, with your motives, with your life. Because the blessing is, is that those who are pure in heart, those who are honest, those who are real, they will see God. You see, it's when we are honest with God, when we are pure that way before him. Man, that's where we find him because he is a God who loves to show mercy. He is a God who loves to show grace. He loves to, to meet us where we are, wherever we are, whatever's going on in our lives, whether our life is a complete train wreck because of our own sin or because of other people's, God meets people right there. And then he begins to heal them and he moves them from a place of being spiritually poor, poor in spirit, to a place of being spiritually rich, filled with his spirit, living a life that honors and glorifies him and also that we can find joy and peace and hope in. God loves the pure in heart. He shows himself to the pure in heart. Take a look at this next one, verse nine. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I think this says this. I think that, that God's kids are called children of, or excuse me, that God's kids are called peacemakers because that's a mark of being a child of God is to be somebody that is about bringing the kingdom of God into our world. And one of the many ways we do that is by being a peacemaker. We should be all about this, friends, being a peacemaker. We should do it at home, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our cities, really throughout the country and the world, we should be about bringing peace because it's one of the ways that we as the kids of God, God's children, we bring the, the family of God um, into the world and we bring the kingdom of God into the world. We should be all about this. With everything that's going on in the world right now with COVID and with politics, um, man, I have struggled the last several months. Man, I have struggled and just have been angry and irritable, and not good a lot of days. And particularly at work, I, I would be, find myself at work and I would just be so frustrated by the things that I would hear or the things that people would say. So often I would make some comment, really mostly just to be obnoxious because they were frustrating me. But I came to a point where I realized, I don't want to be that kind of person. I'm not helping anybody. I'm not really being good for any, anybody. And so I decided I wanted to be different. I think I was being convicted by the Spirit. Sean, you need to be different here. And so I began to pray on the way to work. God, help me to be positive. Help me to be encouraging. Help me to be relational. Help me to be honest. When conversations come up, if I want to speak truth, I should speak truth. But I should do it in a loving, humble, kind way, not being a jerk and, and arrogant. And so about two or three weeks in, uh, to this sort of experiment, to this, this change I was trying to make. Uh, I was talking to one of my colleagues when I first got to work and she was talking about something that was going on in her life. Now, this friend of mine, she's not a, she's not a believer at all. Um, she thinks I'm super religious. She's told me that before, word for word. Aren't you one of those super religious guys? <laughs> Which I think is funny. Um, I love Jesus with all that I am. So if that makes me super religious, then yes, I am super religious. Um, but I was talking to her and she was talking about some things that were going on in her life and she was really frustrated about it. And so I, I said, man, I hear you. And I totally understand that that's a struggle. But, but I said, but also, have you considered this? This is really a blessing and here's why. And her face completely changed. And she looked at me and she said, Sean, she said, you are just like a bright light here in this place. And you know, I'm so thankful that she said that because I had been working hard on doing that. I'm also thankful she said that because I know there has been so many times over the last 20 something years that I've worked there that I have been such a jerk to people. There have been times where I've been arrogant and rude and short with people and had to go back and seek forgiveness. And I know that, that those things, those times where I'm rude and, and a jerk to people, I don't think they characterize my life, but they certainly crop up at times. Friends, we need to be people that are willing and wanting to be peacemakers, to bring the kingdom of God into our world. Sometimes it doesn't mean that you're saying a lot or necessarily doing a lot. Sometimes it just means being a calm and steady presence in the midst of the chaos that's going on around you. Our attitudes as children of God should matter to us and matter to the world around us. So are you working to be a peacemaker in the world around you? It is a mark of a child of God and it is also a blessing to you and to the world around you.
Take a look at this last one. This is one of the hardest ones. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, or excuse me, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you um, because of me. We're called to be blessed when people are insulting us, when people are doing all kinds of mean things to us. You know, we, we live in a church, or excuse me, we live in a country where um, there's not tons of persecution yet for the Christian church. Uh, we were praying this morning before the service and somebody on the team was just praying and praising God that, that we live in a country where we can freely worship, we can freely declare who God is and we can serve him and love him with all of our lives. Not everybody around the world has that blessing. Not everybody around the world has that privilege. And I'm concerned because I, as I look over the last 10 or 15 years, I think the attacks from culture on church and on Christians have intensified. And so it does make me worry that there will be a time in our nation's history, maybe in my lifetime, maybe my kids or my grandkids' lifetime, where the church will be persecuted that way. But right now it's not. But, but when and if it is, Jesus says, and it's crazy, he says, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted. And when people insult you and slander you because of your great faith. And the reason why, verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. What Jesus is saying here ultimately, he's saying it's worth it. He's saying there's a reward coming. It's why the people on that show alone will endure isolation and freezing temperatures and starvation and injuries and sickness and all the things that they have to put up with, they'll put up with them because there's this incredible reward, a million dollars that's coming at the end if they can last to the end and be the last person standing. The kingdom of heaven offers an incredible reward that is so much more valuable, that is so much more worthy than any million dollars could ever buy because the king of kings and lord of lords offers himself to us, friends. Incredible. He says, great is your reward. Your reward is you'll get to spend eternity with this God who made you and loves you and knows you. There'll be no more crying or pain or tears. Everything will be made new again. The reward is coming. And so Jesus tells us that we should endure because of our faith, because there is a treasure coming, a reward coming. So my encouragement is to stand and live on those biblical principles that we love and we base our lives on, the foundation for everything we do. So stand on them. Love when it's hard. When persecution comes, forgive. Rejoice when slanders come. Be, be thankful, be happy, because what that means is that you are living your life in a way that is glorifying and honoring to our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're bringing the kingdom of heaven into the world around you, and that is a thing to celebrate. It's something that we should be happy about, even when the insults come, even when the slander comes, even when the evil comes. Man, we rejoice, because there is a day where there is a reward coming. So what does that mean for all of our lives? What does all this say? I'll invite the worship team to come up now. Three quick things that this means for our lives. Number one, there is a cost to following Jesus. Mourning, meekness, persecution, insults, 
there is a cost to following Jesus. Often inside the church, we talk about the blessings and benefits of following Christ, and there are infinite blessings and benefits, but there is also a cost. But the thing is, friends, our king, he knows about cost. He left heaven. He lived within the confines of a human body. That cost him something. He was insulted and persecuted. He was arrested and tried and beaten and humiliated and betrayed by those closest to him and abandoned by others and murdered. But because he did not stay dead, he rose again and he sent his spirit. Jesus declares that there is a cost, but his spirit will help us. And he declares to us a second thing, that the cost is worth it. Jesus knows about cost, but he's saying, friends, the cost is worth it. So persevere under that blessing. And again, this this word is not just for the disciples, not just for the followers of God in our world. It's also a message to those of you who don't know Jesus yet. And so if you don't know him, man, I am inviting you. He's inviting you again. Join him in relationship. All you have to say is, God, I need your help. God, I acknowledge that, that, that I'm poor in spirit. I acknowledge that, that I've done things wrong, that have break, broken your heart, that has separated us. God, please help me. God, please save me. God, please rescue me from my sins. And he'll come and he'll help you. We'll have uh, prayer meetings after this that are available online. If you need prayer, scroll all the way to the bottom of our webpage. There's a prayer link you can click on there. Click on that prayer link. We want to pray with you. We want to help you get introduced to this great God of ours because he's so, so incredible. Because the last thing is this. We partner with God in bringing the kingdom of heaven into the world. That's what these blessings are all about. It's about living out a life that loves the Lord, that brings the kingdom of God into the world. And we do it by being meek, by, by, by hungering and thirsting for righteousness, by mourning well, by all of the things we talked about this morning. So let's worship this great God of ours now. Let's worship him. What an incredible time of worship. Thank you, everybody, and and all of you as well. Thank you so much for all of your hard work this morning. Next week, uh, Grace, we're still gonna be streaming live at 845, Grace Online, join us there. Or if you want to come to in-person out on our, I guess it's the South Lawn as we're calling it, it's our field. Uh, We're gonna have an in-person worship service. Bring your blankets, something to sit on, a chair, something to drink, and uh, bring your masks and we're gonna worship our King together, uh, gathered together again. Um, I wanna just read to you the text we've been in, but I wanna read it in a different, Version. This is from the message. Just listen to the words, the way that they're said here. Matthew 5, verse 3. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your, your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. 
Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give it cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. I'm going to pray God's blessing over you. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for all these incredible blessings we've got to hear about and to study together. And God, I pray that these blessings, God, we would feel, we would own, we would experience as your church. And God, for anybody who's listening, watching, um, experiencing right now, Father, I pray if they don't know you, that God, today would be the day they join the family and they'd get to truly experience these things as well. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for its people. Thank you for your love and your grace. Um, thank you, God. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Grace Community Church. Hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.